Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for being here. I'm Courtney Freer. I'm a research officer at the Kuwait program here at LSE, and I'm happy to, to be uh, hearing uh, my colleague Aisha Sarihi, who's a, also a research officer here at the Kuwait program, speak about climate change, the Paris Climate Change Agreement, and the GCC, and challenges and opportunities for the GCC's engagement. We are also expecting a discussant, Michael Mason, um, and so hopefully he'll be coming shortly, but we'll go ahead and get started because Aisha will speak for probably around 40 minutes and then Michael will give his comments, uh, hopefully, um, because he knows he knows far more than I do on this topic. Um, but just to give you a brief introduction, uh, as I said, Aisha is a research officer here at the Kuwait program. She's also affiliated with Grantham Research Institute on Climate Change and the Environment, also here at LSE. Her research is focused on addressing the challenges and opportunities for translating climate change mitigation and adaptation ambitions listed in the Intended Nationally Determined Contributions, INDCs, into action on the ground. And today she'll reflect on her findings from her recent fieldwork trip to the UAE and Oman. And Michael Mason is an associate professor on environmental geography and also an associate at the Grantham Institute. His research interests encompass environmental politics and governments, notably issues of accountability, transparency, and security. So um, I'll go ahead and get, let Aisha get started, and then hopefully we'll have comments from, from Michael and then open it up to a question and answer. So thanks again for being here. Well, thank you very much for the introduction. So I, I would like, can you hear me in the back? So I would like to start by thanking the uh, LSE Kuwait program for funding my research, uh, including the field trip uh, to Oman and the UAE. I would like also uh, to thank my mentors, uh, Dr. Michael Mason from the uh, Department of Geography and Environment and Professor Judith Rees from the Grantham Research Institute uh, for their uh, uh, thoughtful discussion throughout the research. I would also like to thank uh, the interviewees, uh, both in Oman and in the UAE, for sparing me the time and uh, their kind contribution uh, in this research. Starting with the presentation, I would like to start uh, by this photo, and I think that if not all of us, uh, probably most of us, are familiar with this photo. It is the moment when the Paris uh, Agreement uh, have been reached by the uh, parties to the United uh, to the UNFCC uh, in uh, 2015. Uh, it is the moment when the nations decided to keep the increase in the global temperature well below two degrees Celsius. And. Um, at this point, I, I think it's important to highlight uh, that the contributions of the countries uh, to um, keep the uh, increase in the global uh, temperature well below 2 degrees Celsius will uh, uh, Michael. Uh, will vary uh, in light of the uh, different national circumstances for the countries. And because I'm talking above the uh, Gulf countries, um, <clears throat> so uh, there are four objectives, uh, three objectives that I am going to highlight on in my presentation today. The first thing, uh, I will um, look at the links between the climate change and the economies of the Gulf countries, which uh, because it is important to look at those links uh, because those uh, would eventually uh, shape the, the, the final uh, um, action, climate change action plan in the region. Secondly, I will evaluate the degree at which climate change issues are considered in the Gulf states' long economic uh, development strategies. And third, um, I will present findings from the uh, interviews both in Oman and in the UAE, uh, uh, and uh, we will identify the challenges and opportunities for aligning climate change issues into the Gulf uh, economic diversification strategies. And then finally, I will end with uh, some conclusions and policy recommendations. So here is the... Um, how the research was designed to achieve the objectives. So the, there were two main stages for this research. The first stage was um, a disk research. It, it was based on secondary uh, 
uh, and analyzing secondary data, including the uh, intended national determined contributions, INDCs, and the economic development plans for the Gulf countries, uh, as well as the economic diversification strategies. And so um, the, the, the first and the second objectives um, uh, have been um, achieved through the analysis of secondary uh, literature, and the, um, the theoretical framework that informed the analysis is, um, is uh, the climate policy integration uh, framework, um, which um, looks at the inclusion, the consistency, the weighting and reporting, uh, and the resources that um, as indicators uh, to evaluate the degree at which climate change issues are considered in the um, long-term economic development strategies. And the, the second stage, and for achieving the second objective of this research, was uh, based on um, doing 20 semi-structured interviews, uh, both in Oman and in the UAE, and um, to identify the challenges and opportunities for the countries uh, to um, mainstream climate change issues uh, into the economic development strategies. And the, <clears throat> there are three indicators that have been uh, uh, used to inform the analysis uh, of those challenges and opportunities. Uh, those are the institutional information and uh, resource uh, capacity challenges. Uh, more details to the, uh, the semi-structure interviews that have been done in Oman and uh, the UAE. Eleven uh, uh, interviews have been done in the UAE. Nine interviews uh, have been done in Oman. Uh, in general, uh, we've interv I've interviewed people from the, the, in case of the UAE, from the federal government and the local government, academia, uh, in Oman, uh, I interviewed people from the government, research and academia, uh, uh, NGO, and uh, a state-owned company. Uh, the reason why I choose Oman and the UAE, uh, although they are both Gulf countries, uh, they, and they have similar political economy, uh, they differ in, in terms of the um, local capacities. Uh, they they differ f uh, in terms of the um, the, the the economic wealth um, and uh, in terms of the uh, the governance structure. For example, for the UAE, uh, it has a, a confederation system of governance, but in Oman, the the the, govern the government is centralized, and uh, um, it is estimated that for the UAE, the hydrocarbon wealth could last for another 100 years, but for Oman, it is expected or estimated to last for another uh, 20 or 30 years. Now going to the first uh, uh, objective of this research, uh, which is um, to identify or to define the link between the, the climate change and the GCC economies. Um, the Gulf countries, uh, which uh, we are see here in, in the map, they have been um, well defined for a long time over the past decades by the economic, uh, by the uh, hydrocarbon wealth, uh, as they host uh, nearly 22% of the uh, proven natural gas reserves and around 29% of the global crude uh, oil reserves. And also, this region has been uh, well defined by the economic reliance on the oil and gas uh, export revenues, which may, may have made, made, made the region um, highly vulnerable to fluctuations on the oil prices. So as the oil prices goes up, the GDP goes up, and vice versa. But although... Um, the Gulf countries um, have been um, uh, highly uh, uh, rich in terms of the hydrocarbon resources. They are not major direct contributors to the global greenhouse gas emissions. 
However, the impacts of the climate change uh, uh, in the region uh, are significant, especially on the economic sector. And that can be explained. Uh, I'm going to explain it in, uh, in the following slides. First of all, the, the Gulf countries and the reliance on the hydrocarbon resources um, makes the, the, the export profile very narrow for the, for the Gulf countries. And that means that uh, the, the global efforts to um, uh, make constraints on the fossil fuel resources um, would mean uh, direct economic losses for the region because there would be lower demand for the oil and gas exports. And that is actually uh, going hand-in-hand uh, hand with the primary uh, economic concern for the region, which is the uh, fall uh, or the fluctuation on the oil prices. What we see here in the figure is the uh, recent impact of the oil prices on the uh, contribution of oil revenues in the GDP. So we can see the difference between uh, the contribution of those revenues before 2014 and after 2014. Another challenge is the, um, the, the dependence of the Gulf countries on the uh, importing goods and services. So, um, Again, the constraints on the, um, the major contributors to the gl uh, global greenhouse gas emissions would mean um, higher costs uh, of the production and higher um, uh, co costs on the imported goods and the services. And here uh, we, uh, I'm showing the, the percentage of the uh, imported goods and services in the, G uh, in the uh, GDP for the Gulf countries. For instance, in the UAE, uh, around 98% of the food is imported. And this is having a, a future implication for the region. To, um, just to clarify my uh, earlier point, here is the, um, showing the uh, top trade partners uh, for the GCC countries and their emission reduction targets. So, um, so my point here is, um, and as we see from the INDC emission reduction targets here, the carbon emission cut is no longer um, a preserve of the uh, West countries. Uh, we can see now that China and India are actually taking progressive um, uh, ambitions to cut greenhouse gas emissions, and this uh, would have implications for the Gulf uh, partners. Another relevant argument for the Gulf regions is the, um, the stranded asset. So uh, based on this, um, studies have been done by the IBCC and the World Energy um, Council, um, there is a scenario that a, if you want to keep the global warming well below 2 degrees Celsius, then 68% of fossil fuel reserves should remain in the ground. And this is, again, another issue that needs to be considered by the Gulf countries. Adding to the economic impacts of the climate change on the, on the GCC, there are some other impacts uh, on the non-oil um, uh, economic sectors. Now, the other um, non-oil economic sectors, which has the potential uh, to um, provide alternative for the economy to be diversified away from oil and gas, such as the agriculture, tourism, and um, the infrastructure, those are already existing in fragile desert environment, and they are already impacted by the uh, physical impacts of the climate change, such as the high temperature, 
and the <coughs> low rainfall and the uh, rise in sea level. To sum up uh, for what I have just said, climate change and the oil prices are um, two sides of the same coin. They are actually both uh, drivers for the Gulf countries um, to diversify the economy and most importantly to uh, make a transition to um, um, uh, to low carbon economy investments. And at this point, I, I would like to um, introduce the concept of the climate change mainstreaming. In this concept, uh, um, <clears throat> there are different definitions uh, uh, for, for the climate change mainstreaming. Uh, but uh, in common, uh, those definitions agree on aligning the climate change mitigation and adaptation measures into the ongoing sectoral development planning and decision making uh, to, um, to both minimize the climate change impacts and to achieve the other um, economic opportunities that might, might arise. So, um, here I would like to um, uh, bring the point that mainstreaming uh, for the GCC is, um, is an opportunity for the GCC uh, to um, actually not only avoid the impacts of the climate change, but to also achieve some other potential co-benefits. And here I'm giving some examples for the different sectors. For example, in the energy sector, the mainstreaming options can be the greenhouse gas emission reductions uh, or to improve the energy efficiency of existing generators and equipments and to make some uh, demand side management. And that can uh, bring advantages like the energy security uh, reduce the vulnerability to the oil price shocks, um, trigger private uh, investments, uh, for example, in the low carbon uh, investments. And um, yeah, it, it, it can also, uh, adding to that, it can also help to avoid conflict in policies uh, it can help to avoid inefficient allocation of budget, and it can, for other sectors, help um, make cost savings. So to summarize, uh, why do we need to make mainstreaming uh, in the Gulf uh, countries? Uh, there are some uh, internal and external drivers to it. Uh, Internally, uh, it is the physical impacts on the non-oil economic sectors. It is the potential long-term impacts of climate change mitigation measures on the oil sector. Um, and essentially, that most of the Gulf countries has an intention to align climate change issues uh, into the economic diversification, and the Saudi Arabia is an example. And um, uh, and the external drivers are actually the, um, the Paris Agreement. And in the next slides, I will explain how the Paris Agreement was a trigger for, for the Gulf countries to take some serious actions towards climate change. Uh, moving to the uh, second objective of this research is to evaluate the degree at which climate change issues has been addressed in the economic diversification strategies. Um, what we see in this table is the, um, a brief um, overview of the economic diversification measure, uh, uh, visions for the Gulf countries and uh, a brief overview of the, what was included in the INDCs for the Gulf countries. So an analysis for the economic diversification strategies 
show that uh, most of the countries are showing um, priorities for the economic diversification, which are the um, enabling knowledge-based economy, um, job creation, private investments. But despite uh, the fact that those countries are well known for the high per capita carbon emission, um, there is no inclusion uh, for any economy-wide targets in those economic diversification strategies. In parallel analysis for the INDC reports, um, and despite uh, the fact that the countries showed an intention to um, align uh, climate change action with the economic diversification, um, to pursue the co-benefits uh, from that alignment, uh, there are two things. There is no uh, clarity for what co-benefits that can be achieved. And for all the countries, the, the INDCs, haven't been built in line with the economic diversification plans, except for the UAE. So, yeah, so that was for, for five countries here, the other two uh, countries. Um, yeah, but then, although there is no uh, too much force uh, uh, to aligning climate change into the economic diversification, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Gulf countries haven't taken any action towards the climate change. There are some efforts uh, and initiatives um, uh, related to climate change. For example, the renewable energy and uh, energy efficiency targets in the Gulf. Um, all of the countries uh, have energy efficiency and renewable energy targets. But um, not all of those targets are, uh, have been translated into mandatory um, uh, uh, programs, uh, except for FUSE. And here I can give example of the UIE, which um, uh, enabled a, um, a legislation for the um, efficiency and um, uh, uh, efficiency program. Um, and also uh, another example, uh, example from the Saudi Arabia, which um, included a section for the uh, renewable energy, for making renewable energy industry uh, uh, local uh, in, this, in, in, in the Saudi, uh, in its um, economic vision 2030. Um, Oman is, um, is not having, um, it has a, a, a electricity, 10% of electricity generation uh, that should come from renewable, but that is not approved, that uh, target is not approved yet, so it is not translated into an action. Now, moving to the, um, the third uh, objectives. Uh, which is identifying uh, the challenges and opportunities for the Gulf countries to mainstream climate change into the economic diversification. Um, now, although the Gulf countries are similar in terms of the political economy and the reliance on the hydrocarbon resources, they are different in the, uh, in the, in the uh, local capacities, uh, uh, and uh, that will uh, affect uh, their uh, policy formulation. And um, uh, let me start with the UAE example. So um, the UAE is one of the countries that um, put an intention to align the climate change um, action with the economic diversification. Um, and uh, in fact, the UAE has um, uh, built its INDC report uh, in line with the, uh, the UAE Vision 2021. And um, talking to the people in the region, uh, the people who was involved in uh, uh, putting to the get together the INDC were also involved in, um, uh, I mean, the people who are involved in the implementation of the UAE Vision 2021 
were also involved in putting together the INDC for, for the country. For example, in the UAE Vision 2021, uh, there is a target for 24 uh, clean uh, energy by 2021, and that was included in the INDC. And um, following the entry of the Paris Agreement into force, uh, the Paris Agreement was actually a trigger for the country to take an action uh, towards climate change. Uh, the, the most uh, important example is the, um, the extension of the role of the Ministry of Environment and Water into, um, to be renamed to a Ministry for the Climate Change and the Environment. Uh, and that happened in 2016. So the, the previous ministry uh, was just looking at the environmental issues uh, without any consideration for the climate change issues. So um, under the new ministry, there is a, an establishment of the Council for the, for the Climate Change, and that was by the request for the uh, uh, Prime Minister Office. So for the, for the UAE, the political will is there, the, the leadership is there. But um, the climate change uh, experience for the UAE is still very nascent. Uh, but even though uh, before the entry of the Paris Agreement into force, uh, the, the UAE was the first in the region to initiate green growth uh, strategy. And in that strategy, um, they've included um, green indicators to um, perform towards a green uh, economy. And I think that is um, an experience for the UAE to draw from and build on uh, to um, future um, addressing of the climate change uh, issues. But, um, yeah, so the leadership, the political will, uh, also the, the collaboration between the entities are opportunities for the UAE to address climate change issues as well as aligning climate change issues into the, uh, its economic strategies. But then there are um, also the... the, the, the um, the confederation system for, for the UAE um, suggests that there is an autonomy for the local government and that would enable um, creativity into the innovation for the local uh, governments. But that will only happen uh, with the momentum of the country uh, to, min to maintain that progress. But that doesn't mean that there are not challenges uh, until today um, there is no overarching target uh, for the country, such as energy intensity reduction target. There is no uh, climate change strategy. Um, the UAE would be um, challenged by the, by the coordination of the efforts um, uh, to achieve overall targets. Also, one main challenge uh, uh, for most of the Gulf countries is the engagement of the citizens in the process. Um, uh, so there are no bottom-up approaches, like, uh, for example, the lack of the incentives and the involvement of the citizens in the process of addressing climate change. Another challenge that needs to be addressed for the UAE is the Informa the climate-related information. Here, uh, the information, uh, it is uh, good to acknowledge that there are sources of information for the climate change in the UAE, including, for example, uh, there is um, a national center for prototype climate modeling at the New York University. Uh, the Master Institute is a major example. Uh, Abu Dhabi Environment Agency. 
but then uh, uh, the, the, the available information are not credible and they, they are not enough to inform the policy making uh, uh, for the UAE and this is evident from the call of the newly established Ministry for the Climate Change and Environment to, uh, to focus the early stages of addressing climate change into uh, generating data uh, related to the greenhouse gas m uh, mitigation uh, data related to uh, studying the impacts of the climate change in the UAE, as well as uh, raising awareness and knowledge uh, uh, across the country. Uh, however, the, uh, the, the UAE, at least in the short term, is advantaged by the, uh, uh, the financial resources. Uh, the finance is not an issue for the UAE, and there are already uh, some uh, climate-related projects have been financed, um, uh, including the 600 billion dirhams uh, have been announced for achieving the 44-person uh, clean energy target by 2050. And um, there is another uh, 350 million US dollars for, to be invested in renewable energy projects. Um, also, um, the country has uh, started with the green finance uh, uh, for a green economy, uh, a study to study uh, the green finance uh, to uh, analyze what are the challenges and the opportunities for the countries to go into that direction. And now moving to the uh, to to Oman. Um, Oman, uh, the scene in Oman is, uh, is different. On one hand, uh, although uh, the economic diversification for Oman is urgent, um, the, the, the translation of this urgency uh, haven't uh, happened uh, until only recently, until the recent drop in the oil prices in 2014, which triggered the country to um, uh, to uh, initiate an economic diversification program uh, to um, accelerate the investment and the alternative uh, uh, projects uh, to diversify uh, away from oil, and it puts priority in projects uh, such as the the, the tourism, um, the, the logistics, and the infrastructure. Um, sorry, the manufacture. Uh, the manufacturing sector. Um, and um, I would like to highlight from uh, this recent initiatives, uh, it actually um, enabled a creation of the collaboration environment between entities from different ministries in the country. And um, that is collaboration environment uh, creates an opportunity uh, to uh, pursue um, the climate change or addressing the climate change um, issues in the countries because climate change mainstreaming is a challenge about leadership, uh, coordination, and collective action. But to date, um, those economic diversification and the climate change issues uh, are viewed uh, separately in Oman. On the other hand, um, Unlike the other Gulf countries, Oman is um, having relatively a longer experience with, the climate, with addressing climate change issues. And that has been uh, uh, prompted by the um, 2007 cyclone Gono, which um, <clears throat> triggered the country to establish a ministry for the environment and climate affairs. And, um, uh, since that time, and even before the entry of Paris Agreement into force, Oman has uh, established a director general for uh, climate affairs, which can look at the mitigation and adaptation issues in the in the in the country. Uh, but also, um, with the entry of the Paris Agreement into force in 2016, um, the country was. Uh, um, also triggered to make some reforms in the Ministry of the Environment and Climate Affairs, and that include um, an establishment of National Committee for Climate Change uh, to look after the mitigation and adaptation issues in the country. 
Um, but because of the uh, centralized governance system in, in Oman, uh, there will be challenges, uh, including the, um, the, the autonomy uh, for the local uh, groups to address climate change. It, it, it's going to be all uh, centralized. Um, also, um, there will be a challenge of the collaboration, although it is evolving, uh, the culture of collaboration is evolving. And also, there are no uh, diversity of the um, organizations that can come together to address the, the issues uh, of the climate change in Oman. Also, um, climate-related information is a challenge in, uh, for Oman, although Oman has relatively longer experience uh, with the climate change in comparison to other Gulf countries. Um, that is uh, both the, the available, there's limitation of the available information uh, as well as the credibility of those information. There are no centers that are focused on climate change research in Oman. Um, and this is evident also from the call of the newly established uh, Climate Change Council to focus the early stages of addressing climate change on the um, making studies on the greenhouse gas emissions uh, in Oman to make future projections, uh, studies on the impacts of the climate change in Oman. And, um, yeah, also uh, to focus on raising the knowledge and awareness about the climate change. Um, Oman, um, the financial resources uh, are going to be acute and a challenge for Oman, and it is um, important to um, address uh, those challenges earlier than later. Uh, since the drop in the oil prices, the physical deficit was uh, an issue for Oman. So, um, um, building on what I have just said, uh, I would like to conclude uh, by saying that climate change action in the GCC is still very nascent, but it is evolving. Economic uh, diversification strategies in the GCC does not necessarily mean transition to a low-carbon economy. Climate change mainstreaming is an opportunity for the GCC countries to pursue a low-carbon economy. Uh, the mainstreaming is likely to happen in the UAE. Uh, the political will, uh, the leadership, uh, the autonomy of the governance, uh, the cooperation between the entities are opportunities for the UAE. Um, Information and human capacity is going to be challenged for the UAE, and that is uh, might slow the process of the mainstreaming. Um, citizen engagement is an issue in the, in the UAE and needs to be addressed. Mainstreaming is unlikely to happen in Oman in a short uh, to medium term. Uh, at the moment, climate change and economic diversification policies are viewed separately. Um, the main challenges for Oman are the information and human capacities to address uh, the climate change, and that is followed by the institutional arrangements in the country. So here are some recommendations on how uh, to move forward. Um, get the policy framework right. Um, it is important to understand what is the context for the climate change in the country. And for the Gulf region, it is important to understand the link between climate change and the economies. Make an advantage of existing arrangements. For example, the UAE have shown, uh, example, have shown some uh, institutional arrangements are there. Um, 
for Oman, probably uh, the, the way that the INDC has been prepared uh, could help the country to move forward. Uh, for example, the, the, the collaboration and engagement of the different entities enhanced by and for NDC uh, implementation here I mean uh, it is important to um, uh, identify the potential co-benefits that can be achieved from the uh, mainstreaming uh, to uh, engage the uh, actors in the process of addressing climate change. And finally ensure information sharing and awareness raising. This is a uh, uh, essentially important for the Gulf countries. And yeah, thank you. Thanks, thank you. Um, so now we'll let Michael go ahead and respond. I'll turn off the PowerPoint. Um, thank you. My name is Michael Mason um, from the Geography and Environment Department. Um, I have an interest in the region, but it's more the uh, Eastern Mediterranean, Marshwek part of the Middle East. Although listening to Aisha's presentation, it's interesting, even though that's the fossil fuel poor part of the region, um, at least until some recent big discoveries of natural gas in the Eastern Mediterranean, there were some very interesting parallels, and I might draw upon those in the comments. I think I'll just make some comments for about five minutes and we'll open up for some discussion. Um, so firstly, thanks very much for that presentation. That was a very clear, um, comprehensive picture of what's going on. Um, and it's good, the first point, I've scribbled so much on my notes I can't read them now. Um, the first point is it's good to have an analysis of um, the GCC, which doesn't treat it as some kind of monolithic block and looks at what's happening in two distinct states within the uh, GCC. So um, that will also relate to something I say. So we're dealing with an area in which I think uh, uh, it's interesting we do not have a monolithic block. The GCC itself, uh, uh, Gulf Corporation Council, is a, is a weak regional body in terms of regional integration, um, um, decision-making kind of coordination. Yeah? Um, and so the interesting kind of um, basis of, the, of the, uh, uh, the presentation is to what extent are these countries interested in climate change? Um, how's that happening? And how's that are they integrating it into their, their sort of basic economic diversification development policies? Um, and listening to the presentation, I was struck that this climate change mainstreaming is taking place in this kind of enclave fashion in terms of a top-down, very, very controlled uh, directional focus on particular policies. Um, it's not involving civil society, yeah, and that's true in, in, in both Oman and the UAE. It's not even involving, from what I heard, scientists in a big way within civil society in these countries, which I was quite surprised to hear, mm -hmm. that there's, there's no kind of domestic scientific capacity, significant scientific capacity. And you think, well, that's interesting. You know, there's not this sort of bottom-up engagement in terms of the climate change sort of uh, integration. So I thought that, that that's interesting in terms of the presentation. Um, particularly using a theory, okay, in terms of climate change mainstreaming or climate policy integration, we'll know from other areas, which has been developed mainly in a particular uh, political governance context of Western democratic context. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the original contributions of this work and this is, I know, this part of a work which is going to be worked up into, this is, this is a, the, the sort of final findings being worked up to, into sort of academic papers. 
um, is the extent to which not only can climate policy integration or climate change mainstreaming say something about what's going on in these, in these countries, but what's going on in these countries can also tell us something about what climate policy mainstreaming is. Okay, what does it claim to show us about what's happening in terms of policy change? Um, the first thing in terms of like, what's triggering this? Um, and I think you said actually in terms of the trigger, it seemed to be Oman, it's significant, it seems to be a sort of a fiscal, a fiscal crisis Quite, oh, well, oil price is going down. We're going to have to think about some kind of strategic uh, 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 readjustment here in terms of our, our policy making. And, and listening to this, and also to some extent the UAE, I was thinking about to what extent is the climate change element here almost contingent? In, and what I mean by that is it, to what extent is, is it contingent rather or is dependent on other more important transformations in terms of economic diversification? Um, economic development, which these countries are going to have to go through anyway. And it just happens, it's a kind of nice coincidence, that climate change uh, positioning enables them perhaps to get some more international assistance or funding, uh, particularly international legitimacy in terms of what they're doing. So I think what you're showing with your presentation is we haven't got suddenly the UAE and Oman becoming these sort of global climate change champions. Yeah? Um, they're engaging with the Paris process, they're engaging in their uh, uh, um, producing INDCs. Um, I wanted to hear from the presentation to what extent these, I know from the other parts of the, of the region that the, the, the NDCs often are quite conditional on international assistance. So I, I, perhaps we can, we can discuss that. To what extent are the NDCs in this, uh, uh, this situation conditional uh, usually, um, many countries have unconditional, conditional NDCs, depending on how much international finance that they can secure and what other countries do. Um, so the, tr the trigger is interesting. That the Paris Agreement seems to be an interesting trigger in terms of the form in which this diversification mainstreaming is articulated in in, in these uh, in these contexts. Um, and listen to the presentation, the, the thing I was thinking about, does it seem that climate change is even important as climate change itself in, in these contexts? And then, as you said, there are significant adaptation issues which the countries face, so that there is a need to adapt to climate change, there is a need to engage to climate change, but it's very much a kind of a top-down thing, which seems to suggest that the climate change mainstream is partly what I would call symbolic politics, and what I mean by that is, is a politics which is almost um, as important in terms of who it's directed outwards towards mm -hmm. as who it's communicated inwards within the societies themselves. Um, and you think, okay, if, it's, if, if the symbolic politics of this is important, who are the audiences for this symbolic politics? Well, these international audiences, international community. Um, and... In this situation, then, the, 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 um, the climate mainstreaming test that you're putting down, Aisha, is interesting in terms of how far will these countries go, because if this is, is top-down, if climate change isn't really translated into sort of legally um, uh, binding uh, uh, targets, for example, I think you said most of the renewable energy and, and uh, clean electricity targets are, are voluntary rather than uh, regulatory, rather than legal, yes? Yes. Yeah, so, so, you, so, so you have a, a mainstreaming which doesn't have a sort of strong legalistic uh, backing, doesn't have a backing in civil society. Um, we would then perhaps hypothesize it's only going to go as far as corresponding to economic diversification. And at the moment, economic diversification meets this kind of climate change agenda. But can we imagine a point in the future there might be a divergence, you know? Um, then I thought from the presentation, I think it's a fascinating presentation, and what would be a true litmus test of climate mainstreaming in the UAE and Oman? And... It's interesting, as you talked about the, the, the creation of the Ministry of Climate Change and the Environment uh, in the UAE's request to the Prime Minister's office. 
um, one of the things then to think about, and also the, the, the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment, actually the other way around, I think, isn't it, Arman? Interesting to look at, and um, perhaps you've looked at this, is in terms of budgets, staffing, responsibilities vis-a-vis -vis other ministries. Yeah? Um, and secondly, in terms of what would be, a, I think, a, a, a key litmus test of the climate mainstreaming in these terms, well, perhaps it's, it's of course, the, 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 the sort of the subsidy system on, on fossil fuels, particularly the double subsidy, the subsidies on, on fossil fuel production, subsidies on fossil fuel consumption, and what's happening there in both um, contexts. Um, and that will say, as perhaps, say something about the meaningfulness of this mainstreaming, because, um, and I guess this is a sort of last general point. What I wanted to hear, and, I, and you, you, you know, we said, I said this before, so you won't be uh, surprised. Wanted to hear a bit more is on the nature of the state, the nature of the regime in both cases, um, and. The nature regime is one in which the, the fossil fuel subsidy or subsidies are necessary to the continuing legitimation of the regime. So what are the limits to climate change mainstreaming in terms of the judgment, which is a political judgment, about how far can we go in terms of reducing our subsidies? We're kind of being forced to do it because of the fiscal situation, yeah? But how, can we, how, how far can we go in a sense in which um, we can just rely on the usual kind of top-down top down enclave governance model, okay? Do we have to engage or even think about, in terms of both economic diversification, maybe some kind of political uh, transformation? I don't mean in a radical way. Some kind of political modernization, shall we call it, so, in, in other words, the, the question here is, is political modernization, in a very, very moderate way, moderate liberalization, I'm not talking about some big jump into some kind of, uh, 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 you know, Western liberal democracy, um, is some kind of political modernization a necessary condition of significant climate change mainstreaming in these countries or not? Or can we continue with climate change mainstreaming in a way which preserves kind of the political status quo of the governance structures. And if, that's, is the, if that is the case, then maybe there are barriers to any sort of meaningful long-term climate change mainstreaming in these countries. So thank you. Thank you for your presentation. Thank you for the comments. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you've both given us a lot to, to talk about and a lot to think about.